So I just want to catch you up to speed if you are uh, new here or new-ish. Uh, if you haven't been here for the previous sermons that I've been preaching since the new year began. Um, I'm doing something that I've never done before. And that is I'm just preaching one continual message. God began dealing with me back in August about uh, seasons changing. And, and it was primarily about what was going to happen in January of this year going forward for at least probably the first quarter of this year. What God is calling us to and back to. And, and we've been just continually every week building on what we talked about last week. This isn't a series. This is, this is one sermon broken up over however many weeks it takes to get it out of me. I feel so uh, impelled that this is uh, so important for your spiritual growth that it is my intention, if everything lines out right, that by the end of this year, maybe around Christmas time, I'm going to have all of these sermons put into manuscript form so that I can put it in your hand at the end of the year and you'll be able to read these messages over and over again because I, I firmly believe this is a life-altering season that we're in. I, I don't think we're just having church as you. Not that there should ever be a such thing as church at, of, at, uh, that's usual. Every time you come to church, it should be a life-changing event. Uh, every time you're exposed to the Word and worship and His presence, it should change you and and I'm believing that that this season's going to be like uh, unlike any other that you have ever experienced if you're willing to do some things. We've been talking about those things every week, moving the rock and 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 and, and again, I just build on what I've said the week before and the month before and I'm just going to continually do that every every week I'm just going to I'm just going to keep in the flow of what we have already discussed but give you new things. And this morning we're going to be in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 6. My message title is Get Your Edge Back. I want to propose a thought to you this morning before we move forward. And I didn't get this thought. Now I, now I got this sermon uh, let, 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 me, let me clarify something. I got this sermon at the beginning of this process. This is actually the first sermon that I knew I was supposed to preach during this season. This was the sermon that God began stirring in my spirit. And he asked me a question that I'm going to ask you. Is it possible that we have made this harder than it should be? And I didn't know what God meant. I was here in this building. I was praying. I was walking around this building praying. And I was praying about the lack of miracles that we see and the lack of supernatural things and how people come to God and fall away from God and how easy it seems to be for people to walk away after they have come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God, why are these things? And I heard this question in my spirit. Is it possible we've made this harder than it should be? And I really didn't know what it meant by that because... I am, let me just give you a clarification in case you don't know me. I'm as Pentecostal as McDonald's is fatty. Like, I'm Pentecostal all the way through to my bones, okay? I don't know anything else. I was never Baptist. I was never Methodist. I didn't go to another church. This is all I've ever known, and I've been in that flow my, my whole life. It's, it's all I've ever been exposed to. But I'm going to talk about some things this morning that I have learned in the church that I can't prove in his word. 
And because we learned it in church, we made things harder than it needs to be. I'm going to begin this morning in 2 Kings chapter 6. A story that most of you are probably at least a little bit familiar with. One day, the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. They need a new church. They're going to go down. And now, now you got to really want a new church to go down and start chopping trees. But, but all right, he told them, let's go ahead. Verse 3 says, please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them, verse 4. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. Let me begin by telling you that he had an axe. He lost it, but he got it back. He, he had an axe. He lost it, but he got it back. Uh, so, so this story, this story is going to challenge you this morning. Because it is a difficult one for us to wrap our heads around. Let's be honest. It's a hard concept to comprehend. Because on one hand, you can plainly see it's a miracle. An iron axe head swam. And it swam up to the surface. That's a miracle. So it's very easy for us to see that it's a miracle. And the reason that it needed to happen was because this young man said that was a borrowed axe. So he was going to be in debt to someone. He needed a miracle to keep him from going into debt to somebody. But on the other hand, it's a miracle. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a miracle. Uh-huh. But, but, but on the other hand, it's a pretty simple way for a miracle to take place. Look, look what happened. Look what happened. The Bible says that they threw a stick in the water and the axe head floated. Okay, it's a miracle. Yes, it, but it is simple. See, see, we like our miracles like the Red Sea. We, we, we like our miracles like the sun standing still over the valley of Agilon, like it did for Joshua. We like our miracles, Elijah going out on the mountain and calling down fire and the fire coming down and consuming everything. That's the way we like our miracles. If we're going to give a miracle, we want folks jumping out of wheelchairs. We want leprosy cured. We want limbs to grow back. That's the way we like our miracles. We like them loud. We like them boisterous. We like them with authority. We like them to have thunder and lightning and some kind of light show, God. But there is a consistent spiritual principle that I want to discuss with you today that I have overlooked for years. But going forward in this season, it is going to be imperative that you get on board with me. Here's the concept. The supernatural 
is often hidden in the simple. The supernatural is often disguised in simplicity. See, our rational minds tells us that there is no way you can throw a stick into the water and make iron swim. Our experiences in life would tell us that we either expect the stick to sink or, I grew up on the Bluestone River playing in the water. If you throw a stick in the water, it usually goes with the flow and just washes away, correct? This stick stood in place, miracle, and then an iron axe head swam up to meet it, miracle. But it's simple. That's not... It would have blown your mind. Let's, let, let's be honest. It would have blown your mind. But at the same time, it's not like Lazarus coming up out of the tomb still wrapped in grave clothes. It, 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 it's not like an army of fire and chariots surrounding the, the valley where Elijah was. It's, a, it's not that kind of a miracle. It's a miracle that is hidden in simplicity. And this morning we're going to tackle one of the toughest barriers that you and I have to our miracles. Are you ready for this? Because one of the hardest obstacles that you're ever going to have in your faith walk is having enough faith to believe what God promises us when it seems so unlikely because it's hidden in simplicity. Let me dive into this. We often forget that when Jesus taught, He did not teach with a theological degree. He taught in simple educational terminology. He used simple things to sermonize the realities of God's kingdoms. The principles he was teaching was so complex and so deep and so far beyond Peter's understanding. I know I pick on Peter a lot, but he deserves it. When I get to heaven, I'll, he can take it up with me. If he gets mad at me, he can he, but But Peter was a fisherman. Peter didn't spend no time in, in seminary. He, he never learned uh, uh, how, to, how to hermeneutically digest the eschatology of the end times. He didn't learn, he didn't learn dogma. He, 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 didn't, he didn't study in any of these things on a deep level. He was a fisherman. He had calluses on his hands, fish gills in his beard, and probably stunk most of the time. Cussing folks out, cutting off people's ears. I mean, this was the disciples that Jesus was trying to train. I think I have a hard job. He's got tax collectors. He's got fishermen. He's got boneheaded folks that want to call down lightning and thunder and, and burn people to a crisp all because they didn't give him an offering. I mean, these are the people Jesus is trying. And so when he, when he teaches them, he teaches them on a simple level, but there's a miracle hidden in it. He would look out in the field and he would say, a man had two sons. One wanted his inheritance early and he ran off and spent it all on riotous living. That's something even disciples could understand. He, he was walking down the street uh, with his disciples, and maybe they saw a man out in the field uh, harvesting his grain. And he says, do you see what that man is doing? But it didn't start out that way. That man had to sow the seed. He had to prepare the soil. In order for him to get his harvest, he had to prepare the ground and he had to throw in a seed. And what did Jesus use the seed for? He said, you don't see the miracle that's hidden in the simplicity of the seed. See, he would, he would teach very deep, complex principles and, and 
and use very simple terms. Jesus was a master teacher. When you study, when you study uh, hermeneutics, uh, hermeneutics, you find out that Jesus taught, and he's the only person that's ever been able to do this, he taught on three levels of understanding, three levels of knowledge. We can't do it because we're not smart enough. But Jesus would teach on three levels of understanding. And, and, and so when he was teaching, he was using simple terms. Like he would say, take a simple seed, but there is supernatural miracles hidden inside that seed. And even we can understand that. The hidden, supernatural, inside of a simple concept. Are you with me? Jesus didn't say much when he went to Bethany. Do you remember when he showed up and Lazarus was dead? Do you remember he didn't say a whole lot? I've lost y'all already. Y'all mad at me already. All you Pentecostals mad at me already because I'm not going to let you swing from the chandeliers to get your miracle anymore. Do you remember when Jesus showed up at Bethany and Lazarus was in the tomb? Do you you remember reading in the Gospel of John where Jesus gyrated and fell out in the Holy Ghost, spoke with tongues, laid hands on the rock? Do you remember all? All you that said yes, get, get get, get up here. All you just like, yeah, I remember reading that. Get up, get up here. Here's what Jesus did when he got to Bethany. He said, God, thank you for hearing me. Lazarus, come forth. No gyrations. No somersaults. Jesus did no double back flips. He didn't lay hands on himself, take up an offering. He didn't do any of that. He said, God, thank you for hearing me. Hearing your servant. Lazarus, come forth. Simple. But the supernatural was a result of his simplicity. I I, I need you to get this. What was more simple than the command he gave Peter? Peter sees Jesus on the water. He says, Jesus, is that you? Boys, I think it's Jesus. All the disciples said, no, that's a ghost. Jesus! Boys, I think, Jesus, if that's you, I want to be where you are. So simple, one word, come. How many of you know it's kind of hard to walk on water? Now, I know I look like I have skis, but these are actually feet. They, they don't enable me to walk on the water. I've tried it. I figured, well, if there's going to be 15s on the bottom of me, I might as well try walking on the water. It didn't help me a bit. It does not help my buoyancy at all. I, I still sink like, like a stone. Walking on water is a miracle. And Peter was able to walk on water with one simple command. Come. That, that was it. No, he, Jesus didn't break down why it would work. He didn't, he didn't have any theological background. He, he didn't go into the Word and say, well, the Word of God says. He didn't lay the Bible on Peter's forehead. And uh, I call the anointing of water walking on Peter. He didn't do any of that. He gave him one simple command. And that would have caused my mind to race. I pick on Peter, but I'm going to tell you something. That would have caused my mind. I would have got anxiety. Because I would have said, Jesus, I, I'm with Peter up to the edge of the boat. Listen, I'm all, I'm in with Peter. When he says, Jesus, these guys doubt you, I'm with you. I want to be where you are. I'm with Peter up to that point. 
When Jesus said, come, uh, all right, <laughs> now me and Peter might be remarkably different because my mind's going to start racing. H- how's this going to work? I mean, I really don't have any scripture to back up the fact that I can walk on water. See, 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 see he was on one simple word and was able to perform the miraculous. Sometimes we make things way harder than they need to be. We're looking for evidence. We're looking for texts. We're looking for something that is visible, tangible, something we can touch, something we can hear, something we can feel. And all we really need is to know that God is the one calling us. Listen, the Bible's not as complex as we make it out to be. Stay out of Revelation. You don't need to know it anyway. But the Bible's really not as complex as we make it out to be because it uses things like agricultural lessons, military training. Je- Jesus used the, an example of a judge to talk about the persistence of prayer. Jesus used simple concepts. Paul, Paul talked about getting to heaven like an athlete running a race. All y'all men going to go home today and, and, and watch football games, and, and, and Paul used that. If Paul was sitting in the living room with you, he, he would see some guy break off an 80-yard run. He'd say, just like that guy just ran and nobody brought him down, that's the way you ought to be running toward heaven. That's the kind of train. It was simple. He, it wasn't deep. And like, we try to make this thing so complex because we're sophisticated. It's more than that, though. I'm a, are you okay? Because I'm, I'm going to train you on something, okay? Let's, let's go over to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. The king of Aram had a great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But through Naaman, or though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Jump down to verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Okay, everybody say, Naaman was a leper. Okay, so he he needs a healing. He had been told by a little servant girl that there was a, a prophet named Elisha that could heal him. So he goes down to Elisha's house. So so what's he need? A healing. He's going to receive a healing. He's, he, he made the trip. Look what verse 9 says. Naaman went with all his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. So he went all the way down to Elisha's house. He has put in the effort to get his miracle. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away Uh uh-huh I thought he would certainly come out and meet me I expected him to wave his Bible over my leprosy and call on the name of his Lord my his God and heal me did you did you catch what he just said I expected him to do something I could see I expected him to do something that makes sense to me. Something more complex than what he told me to do. What did Naaman tell him to do? Go down, dip seven times, 
That's pretty simple. I know some of y'all don't think so because it's not springtime, so you haven't had your bath this year. But dipping seven times is a simple thing. But if you're only looking for the supernatural, you'll miss if it's hidden in the simple. So, so he, tells, he tells him, he said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, verse 12, and Abana and the far, far better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why, why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in rage. Stop right there. That's where I've met some of you. Because you prayed for mama, and it didn't work. And I've met you on the road to rage. You prayed for your backslidden children, and they got worse instead of better. And I've met you on your way to rage. I've been there. You and I have met at the intersection of rage. Where I have prayed for folks that I know love the Lord, and instead of getting better, they got worse. And I start questioning, what's going on here? What did I not do correctly? Maybe I should have danced on one foot. Maybe I, should have, maybe I should have fasted seven more days. Maybe I should have waved my Bible over the leprosy and called on the name of the Lord. Maybe, what, I know I'm not the only person in here that's ever wondered, what did I do wrong? Or what did I not do that I should have done? And, but, but, but I'm going to show you something. He, he went away in a rage. But look what happens in verse 13. His officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir... If the prophet told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you certainly, you should certainly obey him when he says, simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. His his soldier corrected him and said, you would have done a complicated thing because you think that's what it takes. Why won't you do the simple? My God, I just did a whole lot of preaching right there. So, so you'll jump through hoops and do the gyrations, but you won't do the simple stuff because it seems too simple to bring the miraculous. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm Pentecostal. I want you to know, I believe in laying hands on the sick. I believe in casting out devils. I believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can imagine or think. What I do not understand is why we think something we do or don't do messes with His power. Listen, listen to what Naaman's complaining about. It's not complex enough. And he got offended that the instruction was too simple. He got angry. He turned away and was going to go back home mad at the preacher because it was too simple. And look, are you ready? To, are you ready? I, I, I'm going to drop the first bomb on you this morning because this is where you and I often fall off our faith wagon too. Here's, here's why. Did you hear what he said? He said, are not the rivers back in Damascus and the far, far better than this nasty, muddy river he wants me to? Do, 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 you, do you want me to interpret that for you in modern language? Here's what he said. I've took a bath before. 
and I still had leprosy. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have dipped before, and that didn't cure me. And why do you want something more than simple? Because you've prayed before. Yeah, you fasted before. You called on the name of the Lord before, and it did not change a thing. So now, you don't believe in the simple anymore. You think it must be something more complex because I tried that, and it didn't work. But often the supernatural is hidden in the simple. And if you overlook the simplicity of the obedience of the command, you're going to constantly wander around angry about what didn't happen. See, see, see you haven't, you, you've done it before. You, you've, you've dipped before. But you haven't done it now under this word in this season for this purpose. In other words, now is not then, and then is not now. So, so sometimes we come to church every Sunday. Every time the church doors are open, we are in church, but we've lost our edge because we've missed God because we think He instructs us to do things that don't make sense because they're too simple. We don't think that the stuff we consider simple, has the power and the authority to cure leprosy, to bring back prodigals, to get rid of cancer, to bring financial blessing. Here's what we say. We hear the simple preach from the pulpit, and we say there's got to be more to it than that. Oh, you don't believe me? Uh, let me condemn you then. I mean, let me help you then. When we get in our mindset that we have to have more, we start looking for something that we don't already have instead of looking for the supernatural in what we already possess. How, what's that look like? That looks like you jumping on a plane to go see some preacher at some conference to have them lay hands on you because it's too simple for you to stay rooted and grounded in your home church and receive a word from your pastor. That's too simple. No, I got to go get a word. I got to, I, I got to, somebody's having a crusade. I got to go get a word. Somebody's having a, a revival. I got to go get a word. Somebody's having this move of God. I've got to go down there and get part of it. I need them to touch me, lay hands on me. I need them to prophesy over me. You know what you should be doing? You should be looking for the supernatural in the simplicity of being rooted and grounded and stuck and growing. And if you want some supernatural, it's being preached every Sunday across this desk. And you ought to be snatching the promises of that simplicity and holding it in your heart and you don't have to go nowhere else to get it it's right here it's in the house it's the supernatural but it's hidden in simplicity we don't like that's too simple I got better water I got, I got cleaner water I got, I've dipped before I've went to Pastor Mitchell before and it didn't help me it's too simple every believer in this room at some point is in danger of losing your edge so God needs us to know how to get our edge back once we've lost it. He had it. He lost it. He got it back. So you've lost your edge, some of you. And we need to know, number one, that it's gone. And number two, how to get it back. So, so what you're going to need to see 
is the supernatural hidden in the simple. Job chapter 33 and verse 4. For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty, what? The, the, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Isaiah 42 and 5. God, the Lord, created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives what? Uh huh. So his breath gave me life, and now he gives breath to everyone. Life to everyone who walks on the earth. Acts 17.25 And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and what? Uh Uh-huh. And breath to everything. He satisfies every need. So all three of those scriptures, you know what they said? He gives you breath. He gives you breath. Look at your neighbor, because i got to wake some of y'all up. Look at your neighbor and say, he gives you breath. Uh Uh-huh. Now, 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 he gives you breath. That's, uh, you, you better be glad. Somebody should have shouted hallelujah right there because you'd all be dead if he didn't give you some breath. I, I know you blame your mom and daddy for your existence, but had it not been for the Lord and his plan for your life, it, he, you need his breath. But Psalm chapter 150 verse 6 says, Since God gave you breath, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Says since he gave it to you, you need to be utilizing it for something. And it's not to fight with people that votes differently than you. It's not to argue with your spouse. It's not to prove your point. He says, if I gave you something like breath, you ought to be using it to glorify me, to lift me up, to, to shine my light in a dark world. He says, you ought to be using that breath I gave you. But that seems so simple. How do you get your edge back? God gives you the breath, and then he tells you to praise him. Because praise is a sharpening agent. I was about seven years old. My daddy got, bought me my first pocket knife. So I remember it because it's one of the only things my dad ever bought me. He, didn't, he, he, was, a, he was a mean man. He, he, but one day we were at a flea market, and he bought me a pocket knife. And he took me home, and he took a whetstone out, and he taught me how to sharpen. And, of course, I already knew that they did that to the... Splitting moths. Y'all probably don't know what splitting moths are, but when I was eight years old, I had to split wood for a living. So he, I'd already seen him using that stone to sharpen the edge on that splitting moth because I got to spend my summers. While, while y'all were out playing Little League Baseball, I was in the woods with a splitting moth, and, and he, was, he, would, he, he, he would keep the edge sharp because it's hard to split wood with a dull edge. The first thing that you need to sharp Sharpen your edge and get your edge back is you need to know how to praise. But, but see, you don't understand. God says if you release your breath, he said, I gave you some breath, now I want you to release it. But when you release it, I want you to release it as praise unto me. Why? Because the book of Psalms also says that he inhabits the praises of his people. See, most people don't praise right because they don't understand what their praise is actually doing. It's not a moment where we set three songs aside to waste time on a Sunday. Praise brings God into the atmosphere. Praise brings God into your situation. If you learn how to praise God, you ain't got to wait to church to meet with God. You can do it at your house. You can do it in your car. You can do it at your workplace. If you learn how to praise the Lord, the Lord will settle in over top of all your dysfunction and mess your world up because you brought God into the situation. But we don't understand it because why? Seems too simple. 
It seems too simple. We don't like this because it seems too simple. The supernatural is hidden in simplicity. How can the bread and wine of communion represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ? It seems too simple. The second thing you need to get your edge back is a desire for change. Oh, half of my amen committee resigned on that point. Uh, because we don't like the change. And I just told you, you need a desire for change. Jesus met a man who'd been sitting by a pool for 38 years, crippled. That pool had healing qualities, but it only happened once a season. An angel would come down from heaven, touch the water, the water would get troubled, and the first sick person that got in the water got healed. Jesus looked at this man and asked him a simple question. Do you want? Do, what are you here for? Do you think this guy hung up beside this stagnant pool with fighting mosquitoes because he didn't have nothing else to do? He'd been hanging out there for 38 years. Of course he wanted to be healed. But Jesus said, simply, do you want to be made whole? What he was asking him was, I know you're in the right spot. I know you drag yourself to the place of healing. But something is still keeping you from being made whole. Even though you say, well, I went to church every Sunday. Yeah, but what happened when you got to church? Do you want to, do you want to change? Is there something in you that desires a change in your life? Because I can preach until my juggler vein pops out of my neck and hangs off my lapel, and it won't change you until you get ready to change. Until you want to make a change, nothing will help you. So, so, so you have to desire to change. God is in the habit of using simple things. Thank God. Look at, your, look, at, look at your husband and say, that's you. God can use him too, sweetheart. Simple things. Now, how, how is it that we're going to achieve the change that we need? Well, what's the Bible say? Now faith cometh by and hearing by the... Uh-huh, so the Word of God is a sharpening agent. Make sure... Man, I could, I could preach all day just on this one point. you got to make sure His Word replaces your words. Okay, okay. So, 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 so what, do I, what, what do I mean by that? When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, the devil kept trying to get him to do things, and Jesus said, it is... Yeah, boy, that, yeah, most of y'all flunked right there. It is... It is written. He, he, he said... Yeah, I hear what you're saying to me, but I already know what the Word said. I, I know that I have desires that you're trying to get me to meet by doing these things, but I know what is written. And so he, instead of answering, even though He is the Word made flesh, and if anybody knows this Word, it was Him. But he refused to use his own words. He said, it is written. He replaced his words with the word because his word is the word that sharpens your edge back. Let me tell you what happens when you walk around your house reading your Bible. You're not preaching a sermon. You're giving voice to what 
is written. So when you walk around your house and you read, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found this too, that meaningless. And so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure instead I should be seeking the Lord and my house shall be blessed and I shall rise up in the morning like a dove and I shall see the hand of God working in my life and the life of my generations to follow what you're doing is giving a voice to what is written and and too many of us have our voice but we've never given him a voice so when you read your Bible out loud You're giving voice to His Word. Because your words don't change anything. Your words don't move anything. But when you speak His Word, heaven dispatches angels down to wherever His Word has a voice given to it. What was about to happen to Naaman? He was about to go back home and keep his leprosy. That's what some of y'all do every Sunday. You come to church leprous, you take it back home with you. I preach for an hour and however long. We have an altar call. You might come up and get, get some oil put on you. Fall out on the floor like a fish out of water. Flop around, make a scene, leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling, gyrate, walk the pews, and take your leprosy and go right back home. We do it all the time. We all do it all the time. Why? Because... What was the hindrance to his healing? He heard the instruction, but he wouldn't obey it. Obedience to the instruction is the only way the miracle will come through the Word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word. But faith without works is dead. So you can hear, I can preach faith into you through the Word consistently for years and it not change your element or your situation or instigate you into a miracle because until you do something with your faith, faith without works is dead. So you know what to do and you just don't do it because it seems too simple. Let me help you. Mm -hmm. When you start sharpening your edge with the word, simple things become supernatural. And the supernatural becomes simple. I just said a whole lot right there. When you start sharpening your edge with the word, simple things become supernatural and supernatural things become simple. Stuff that other folks is tripping over, you'll walk on top of because you are now opening up the realm of the supernatural in your life by doing simple things. Do you love me? Are you sure? Because I'm about to talk about your money. Because we make a big deal out of money. We make it very complicated. Hello? We struggle with making it. We struggle with keeping it. We, we struggle with spending it. And most of all, we struggle with giving it. Uh-huh. But God says it's simple. Oh, you don't believe me? Here's what Jesus said about money. Give. I quit. Give and it shall. That's simple. But you don't believe it. And 
that's why you never see the supernatural. I knew some of you get mad at me right there because here's, here's how some of y'all give. Now, I say some of y'all because this is not my realm. Me and my wife decided a long time ago we was going to do it God's way. But, but some of y'all operate like this. Well, if I ever get a miracle, then I'll give. Eh, wrong answer. It says you give, and then it'll be given. And how's it given? Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give to you? You will find supernatural blessings coming from other people because you gave. But you hide behind that rock. Not me. Too simple. Because it makes no sense for me to be in need and give money and come out ahead. That's why it's supernatural. And that's why we have a hard time with it. Because if I'm going to think simply, I'm going to think I can't give and get. I'm going to give so I, and lose, so I have to hold on to what I have. But Jesus said, you give it, simple. You reap it, supernatural. He didn't even say it's coming back to you in the same measure that you gave it away. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Some of y'all ain't never saw running over blessings. And just like Naaman, you leave mad at God. You take your money leprosy back home with you and complain that I ain't got enough money at the end of my month. Try giving. Just try it. Listen, it's the only place in the Bible that you're ever going to find God say, test me. Try me and see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing the likes of which you can't contain. It's the only place in the Bible. He doesn't say that about nothing else. Why does he do it? Because he knows that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And if we love money over God, he'll prove it to us with a very simple instruction. And by the way, he tells us to tithe. And here's what he says. He says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. That means where you're fed, right? So, so, so we're supposed to tithe in the church. And you know what? You know what the tithe is, right? It's, it's, it's 10% of what, though? Of what you got. Where'd you get it? Where'd you get it? He gave you what he asked you to give. He's not asking you to go out and manufacture it from somewhere else. He said, I'll give it to you, and then I just want you to return back a tenth of it. Do you see how this works? That's simple. That's like you giving your kid an allowance and then expecting them to do something with a dime of that dollar you gave them. And, and you say, I'm going to give you the whole dollar, but you've got to put 10 cents in a savings account. Or you've got to put 10 cents in your uh, future for your uh, college account. And, and you get angry with them because why? You gave them. You provided them the dime. And it had not been for you, they wouldn't have had it anyway. So God says, I'll give you what I want you to give. Simple. That's simple. That's the exact same reason that people miss the power in prayer. Prayer is a sharpening agent. And some people miss the power of it. You know why? Because I prayed before. And it didn't work. Things didn't happen the way I wanted them to. So it must take more than that. More complicated. Because 
I prayed and I fasted and I asked God and nothing happened. So now you stop believing that prayer changes things, that fasting moves God. You don't see any value in living right, doing right. You don't see any value in coming to church because all that seems way too simple. How, how, can I do, how can I do nothing but pray about it and it work? It makes no sense in the natural for me to give something like prayer and expect something like cancer to be healed. I prayed. They stayed sick. I fasted. They didn't get delivered. What's the problem? That's too simple. It must take more than that. I'm going to give you one teachable point here. When you're looking into the simple, the supernatural is invisible. But if you reject the simple, the supernatural will always be out of reach. If you're reaching for the supernatural, you're never going to get it. You have to learn to find the supernatural in the simplicity. Because that's where it is. Now, you know I'm Pentecostal all all the way through. But I learned some stuff through the years. And here's what I've learned. God's not impressed with our somersaults. Listen, I like to shout as much as you. I lose my mind in worship up here. I do it anywhere. I don't just do it in this house. I do it everywhere I go. I've always been a worshiper because before I was a preacher, I was a worshiper. And, And I'm still a worshiper. I don't worship to put on a show. But I also, hear me, found out years ago that my worship doesn't move God. He didn't tell me to do it that way. And if we think that our gyrations is what it takes to move the hand of God, we are worshiping our effort more than we are Him. That's what happened to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. They thought they could call on their God by cutting themselves, dancing around the fire, and shouting real loud, and their God would answer due to what they did. Our God never told us, so by the way, that means I can worship the way I do and reach God, and some of y'all that just stand there in quiet solitude and and fold your hands and sing, you're as much capable as moving God as I am. You don't have to act like me, and I don't have to act like you. So, so, so those are our ideas, not his. And, and we shouldn't be taking the attention off of him and putting it on us. I, I used to think that in order for me to get a prayer through to heaven, I had to pray like my life depended on it. I apologize to some of y'all that's been with me for 20 years. Y'all have absorbed more of my spit and sweat over the years than you deserve Because I used to think in order for me to get a prayer through to heaven, I had to scream like God's an old man sitting on the throne with hearing aids. And in order for me to pray, I had to to pray until I heard thunder overtake the sound. You couldn't, there's no way that my prayer is more powerful based upon decibels. That's what I, because when I came up, that's the way everybody prayed. When, when they start praying, it wasn't, it wasn't one of them low murmurs. It was, no, we're going to shake the rafters. And, and people become so eloquent when they pray. Oh God, thou hast who art the most highest, aboveth alleth that I walketh in, or faces. 
Everything has to have an E-T-H on the end of it when you're praying in the King James English. <laughs> but let me, tell you about, let me tell you about prayer. When you pray, His position is mercy and grace. Your position is faith and obedience. So, so here's what happens. He has mercy which allows Him to give you the time to obey. Okay? So, so when you pray, here's how you ought to pray. You ought to appeal to His mercy. You, you don't have to pray loud, boisterous prayers, but what you do have to pray is say, God, I know you're good. I, I know that your hand always keeps the enemy away from me. I, God, I know that you won't let unrighteousness befall into my house. I, I, I know that you will keep me from the evils that are uh, trying to come against me. I know that the, your word says that when the when the enemy comes in and tries to drown me like a flood, that your spirit will raise up a standard against it. That's the way you got to pray. You, you, you don't have to pray loud. You don't, you don't have to walk around and stomp and swear. And it's okay if you do that, but understand that doesn't, that, that's because you have a righteous anger. And I do that too sometimes. And Jessica will just, she'll stomp all over the place. She, she, she an angry prayer. And that's okay. You can do that because that's your righteous indignation coming out. But understand that just because you see somebody else do it like that, that doesn't mean they're getting their prayer through any more powerful than you are because what you need to do when you pray is say, God, I know that you are for me and never against me. I know that you're on my side. I know that you hide me. God, I know you're going to do the right thing by me because you love me above everything. So you need to appeal to his mercy. When you pray for your children, say, God, I know you love them more than I do. And I know that even though they're, they're, they're backslidden or I know they're running away from you, I know that you know exactly where they are. And I know that you love them like you love me. And you, the way you brought me back, you'll bring them back too. <laughs> See, this will change your prayer life. This will change your prayer life. Because when you appeal to His mercy and His grace, you're appealing to who He is. Not what you want. I know you love me, Lord. You're not going to leave me and forsake me. Your mercy will find me and deliver me. You're appealing to who he is. You're, you're quick giving him a list of things you want like he's a genie in a bottle. You're appealing to who he is. And if you want an example of a powerful prayer, can I tell you? I'm talking about instant, miraculous prayer. You want an example of it out of the word? It ain't going to be one you like. You know how? I know. It's too simple. Because you... Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. Peter's walking on the water. And when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Does anybody have that sinking feeling? Sometimes you just, I mean, you're walking with the Lord. Like Peter was walking with the Lord and he had that sinking feeling. Does anybody know what that's like? You're walking with the Lord, but sometimes you get that sinking feeling. And, and, and he's losing his edge. He was walking on the water. He was, he was walking in a miracle. And he's losing his edge because the wind and the waves. And he began to sink. And here's his big, long, eloquent prayer. Save me, Lord. That doesn't seem complicated enough. We don't even have to call a prayer meeting. If we called a prayer meeting, and somebody's going to lead our prayer meeting, and they got up and said, save me, Lord, laid the microphone down and said, you're dismissed. You'd get mad about the gas you wasted to the house of the Lord. 
The complicated, powerful prayer that got the job done was three words. Somebody say, save me, Lord. Uh, That's all it took. No theological reasoning, no scripture quoting. He didn't have no these and thous in there. Just, help. Just simple, but powerful. Somebody say, help. See, that's just, that's simple, but it's powerful. Why? Because when you're appealing to his mercy, you're appealing to his grace, you understand your position, but you also understand his position. When you ask him for help, you're saying, God, I can't do this by myself. You're going to have to intervene for me. And if you say help with faith, he steps in your situation and says, I'm right here because I care more about you. See, 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 the supernatural is hidden in the simple. Had it been us, we'd been out there and starting to sink. Lord, in whose thou presence my soul takes delight. On, on whom I call in my afflictions. And when thou seest meeth on the windeth and the waves. You'd have drowned before you got all that out. Before you got to amen, you'd have been glug, glug, glug. You don't always have time for all that. Your car sliding on the ice. You ain't got time to find four prayer partners. You better just be able to say, hey, save me, Jesus. You don't have time. Sometimes the supernatural is hidden in the simple. Hmm? So he lost it. He had it. He lost it. He got it back. So we walked through the having it and the losing it. Now now it's time to walk through getting it back. Some of y'all have came to church this morning and you've lost your edge. I know you've lost your edge because you used to have joy in serving the Lord. And you don't do that anymore. You need to get it back. Pastor, if I admit that I've lost my edge, people are going to think I'm sinning. Let me qualify this for you. What was the brother doing when he lost his axe head? Chopping wood, working. That's the word. He lost his edge while he was working. While he was working. He wasn't sloth. He, he wasn't wasting time. He wasn't taking a nap. He lost it while he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Do you know that you can lose your edge for love while you're loving the folks you're supposed to? You, you can come to this house every Sunday and love it and lose your edge for this house while you're sitting in it. You used to serve. You, you used to be the first one to volunteer and say, I, I got to do something For God, you you lost your edge. You need to get it back. Some of you know what it's like to lose your edge in your marriage. Some of you know what it's like for your prayer life to have a dull edge. It's been a long time since you prayed and you actually felt the hand of God come into your situation. You had it. You lost it. Somebody talk back to me and say, I can get it back. If, if you believe it, say, I, I can get it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, you can lose your edge doing what you're supposed to be doing every day. You don't have to be out sinning. 
You don't have to be out running wild. You can be going to work every day and lose your edge. Taking care of your family every day and lose your edge. Dealing with life's troubles and lose your edge. And you, you look and you hunt and you buy books and you take seminars because you think it has to be more complicated. No, it's simple. It's simple. It's simple. Save me, Lord. Help. Because he knows where you lost it. And he'll give it back to you. He'll give it back. So every person, go ahead, playing if you don't mind. Every person in this room that knows you've you've had it, but you you lost it. Can I point you to a lesson that Jesus taught about a widow who had ten coins and she, and she lost one. She lost it in the house. She wasn't out gallivanting. She wasn't at the bar. She she wasn't out. She didn't take that thing somewhere it shouldn't have been. It was in her house. And she lost one. And the Bible says she stopped everything she was doing, turned on a lamp, and started sweeping the whole house. Why? Why? Because she said, I know it's here somewhere. had it, I lost it I'm going to get it back because I know it's still here I know it's still here somewhere, I don't see it I can't locate it, but I know it she hadn't been out of the house, so it's here in the house I lost it, I, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, maybe I was a little negligent maybe I took my eyes off of it for a second, but I lost it but I know it's here somewhere, and it's important enough for me to stop everything else I'm doing Turn the light on. Start sweeping. And I'm not going to stop until I find it. Because I had it and I lost it. And I can't live with it that gone. I, 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 can't, I can't go to sleep tonight if I don't find it first. Y'all not going to help me. I, I had it and I lost it. And it means so much to me. I can't tolerate myself by being comfortable losing it. I've got to get it back. And by the way, I'm not talking to you about something I don't know. I've preached sermons for weeks and sometimes months with a dull edge. I've lost it. Standing in the pulpit, preaching the gospel every week, I've lost my edge. I know what it's like. But the moment that I realized it was gone, I had to stop everything. I started this year, like I do most, with a fast. Because I want to make sure I've got my edge. It's important enough for me to stop everything else, turn the light on, and start sweeping. I ain't got time to break that down. But you know what happens when you sweep? You put your head down and you focus on the job at hand and you stop getting distracted by everything that's going on around you because you have a single purpose in mind. Uh-huh. But, but you also start stirring up dirt 
and, and that dust gets removed, my God. Dirt that had accumulated, and while you had your eyes up here moving around, you wasn't paying attention to the dirt. But once you lost something in the dirt, you got to move the dirt out so you can find what you're looking for because the important thing is so important, you got to eliminate everything that's hiding. My God in heaven. So who in here has lost something that's important enough that you need to get it back if that's you I want to invite you to come to this altar this morning I had it I lost it before you come up here I want you to determine in your spirit I'm coming up there to get it back I'm coming to that altar because I want it back. I don't know what life has taken from you. I don't know what this season of frustration has taken from you. I don't know where you lost your strength and now you don't know where it's gone. I don't know where you lost your peace and the joy of your salvation and you don't know where to find it. I don't know where you lost your heart to love and you don't know where you lost it. But whatever you lost, if you pray the same prayer Peter prayed, save me, Lord. He will help you. He knows exactly where you lost it. He knows exactly where to find it And He will give it back to you I, Some of you had a shout You used to scream victory And you lost it You need to get it back Some of you used to have a prayer life That made demons tremble You need to get your edge back some of you have lost the joy of your marriage and you need to drag your husband and wife up to this altar and if you don't have them, bring a picture of them. I know you got a million of them on your phone and bring a picture of them up here and start reclaiming. We lost the joy of our marriage but we're getting it back. I had it, I lost it and I'm going to get it back. Some of you need to bring your finances up here and if you are a giver and you haven't saw that pressed down, shaking together, running over and you're faithful, you need to bring your checkbook up here and say, I had it, I lost it, I'm going to get it back because God's word is never failing and you just need to believe that He he knows exactly where you lost it and he knows how to give it back to you I had it I lost it but bless God hear me devil I'm coming to get it back some of you got another 30 years to work that job you don't want to work it miserable you need to come find joy because the Bible says whatever you do with your hands do it as unto the Lord so so you need to bring your job up to this altar and say I had joy. I was happy when they hired me. I lost it. I'm going to get it back. I don't know what this season has took out of you, but I know the one that can restore you. He that waits upon the Lord shall renew his strength. So if you come to this altar this morning, I mean, I mean you come up here with the intention that I've come to find something. Call on his name. You'll get it back. Call on his name this morning. 